quite a few, isn't it, uh, for most of us? I mean, it's hard to keep track of them all. And if you're like me, sometimes I forget what password did I use for that account and you end up having to reset it, you know. We have passwords for bank accounts, for companies that we buy things from online, medical information, email accounts, social media accounts, and on and on it goes. Why is that? Why, why do we have passwords for all these different accounts? Well, because we have to protect our finances. We have to protect our personal information, even our reputations. Maybe you've had the uncomfortable situation of having someone hack your Facebook account and post something that you would never post. I, I remember a few years ago an older friend of mine godly man. I saw his Facebook page and uh, there was something on there that I thought, he didn't put that up there. You know, how did I get hold of him? Tell him, please change your password. Get that off. You know, it's embarrassing. Maybe you've had that happen to you. There are hackers out there who are always looking for ways to steal our money, steal our possessions, steal our identity, and even steal our reputation. And so, we have passwords. And we lock the doors of our house when we go to sleep, and we lock the doors when we're away, and we lock our cars when they're in the parking lot, and we chain our bikes to the bike racks. We understand. We understand that we live in a fallen world. And part of living in a fallen world is that we have to be careful to, to guard our stuff. Of all, of all the things you have to protect, What's the one that you would say is the most important? That of all the things you have to protect, what's the one that is most important that you guard? God's word says this. Above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, all the things you have to protect, your money, your things, your reputation, your identity, of all those things that you have to protect, the most important thing to protect, the most important thing to guard is your heart. Join me, please, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, as we continue our summer series called Wise Up, studies in the Proverbs this morning. Above all else, guard your heart, Proverbs 4.23. Over 170 years ago, a British pastor, Charles Bridges, wrote this regarding guard your heart. And he said, nothing is more difficult while nothing is more necessary. When I read that, I thought, man, isn't that true? Nothing is more important than guarding our hearts, and yet nothing is more difficult, necessary. <clears throat> Let's explore this proverb together. This is a royal father writing to his son, talking to his son, and he says, above all else, son, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I'll be using my NIV today for those of you used to hearing me preach in the ESV. Let's explore this proverb. So what does that mean? What does it mean, guard your heart? Let's begin by thinking about the word heart. Here in our American culture, we often try to distinguish our heart from our heads. And in our culture, we talk about our heads as if that's the thinking part of me, the analytical part of me. And my heart, well, that's my that's my emotions. That's my feelings. 
And so in our culture, we hear the word heart, and we tend to think of our feelings, our emotions. However, let's not read our American culture into this verse. In the Old Testament days, when the people heard the word heart, they weren't distinguishing it from the head. They had a much more inclusive view of the heart. Uh, it was not just the place of emotions, but the place of thinking, the place of conscience, the place of choices. It's who you are. What gives you perspective? Uh, I would call it a frame of reference. The heart is your frame of reference. It includes your, your thinking process, your affections, your choices, your value system. Everything's wrapped up in the heart. Your perspective on eternity. Here is a father talking to his son. And he says, son, I want you to have the right perspective on life, the right perspective on eternity. I want you to have the right values in life, the right affections, the right thought process. So son, above all else, guard your heart. It's what's going to help you. It's, going to, it's what's going to mold you when the things of life come at you. It's going to motivate you to make God-honoring choices in life. Above all else, guard your heart. Let's think about that word guard. Our hearts are under assault, aren't they? Who would you say, or what would you say are the, the hackers of our heart that we have to guard against? What are the hackers of our heart that we need to resist on a regular basis? You want to help me with this? If you speak first, you get the easy one. Satan, yeah, that's probably the most obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Satan, I would call Satan the ultimate heart hacker. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, your enemy, the devil, prowls around look like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Yeah, Satan is the ultimate heart hacker, isn't he? But it's, it's not just Satan. It's the world system we live in too, isn't it? John wrote this in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 2. He said, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So Satan is a hard hacker. This fallen world system around us, that's a hard hacker. But we don't just look outside of us, do we? Um, we need to humble ourselves and realize that our problems are not all external. There's the internal issues, too. There's what we call the sinful desires or the flesh. Paul told the Galatian believers, he said, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with one another. So those are probably the biggest heart hackers, wouldn't you say? The Satan, the fallen world system, and our own sinful desires are all these heart hackers that we have to guard against. So above Everything else, guard your heart. Yeah, go ahead and lock your car door. Go ahead and lock the house door when you go to bed at night. Set your passwords. Make them strong. That's all good advice. We live in a fallen world. But of all the things you have to protect in life, nothing, nothing is more important, nothing is more valuable, nothing is more precious than your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Why, why is that so important? Why give it so much attention, so much effort? 
the ESV has, for from it flow the spring of, springs of life. The NIV has, for everything you do flows from it. In other words, what comes out of you comes from what's within you. The words you speak reveal what's in your heart. The actions you do reveal what's in your heart. Your value system reveals what's in your heart. The choices you make. Isn't that what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6? Let me just read to you Jesus' words from Luke chapter 6. He said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then listen to this. Jesus said, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so here's a dad saying to his son, he's training his son, discipling his son. And he says, son, son, listen to me, son. Look at me, son. Above all else, above all else, guard your heart. For out of it, everything else flows. Your words, your actions, your choices, everything flows out of your heart, son. So, what are we protecting anyway? The heart, but what's in there? What am I protecting? What's in there? What, what does the father want the son to protect? What, what's in the heart or what at least should be there? You know, some of the Proverbs that we're going to study this summer are kind of standalone. You look at them and there's not really a context around them in the book of Proverbs. But some of them have a context. And it's so helpful to take a minute or two or three and look at the context and say, oh, that helps. You know, that's turning on the lights. I, I see more now what that proverb means. And I think this is one of those Proverbs. This is one of those Proverbs that if you look at the context, you say, oh, that's what he's talking about. I'll tell you what, let's do this. I'm going to back up to the beginning of chapter 4. And I'm going to read the words the Father gave the Son in the first seven verses. And then we'll drop down and read some more verses. But you follow along in your Bible now as I read from Proverbs chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy, in my father's house, still tender and the only child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom or she will, and she will protect you. Love her and she'll watch over you. <coughs> wisdom is supreme, the father says. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Look at verse 13. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. And then our specific passage this morning, beginning of verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. 
for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So here's this father telling his son to guard his heart, but he's already put things in that heart, hasn't he? This father has been so intentional in instructing his son. He's been instructing his son. He's been giving him uh, not only understanding, but he's given him wisdom. He says, get wisdom. If it costs you everything, it's okay. It's okay. Sell everything if you have to, son, to get wisdom. So the father's been pouring into his son this wisdom, this perspective of life. He's saying, son, this is what life's about. This is what, make life, this is what makes life work. This is your perspective, your paradigm of life, son. And he's been pouring it in, pouring it in, pouring it in. He says, now guard it. Now, let me ask you a question. What's at the heart of that? If you say, well, what's in the heart that the sons to guard is wisdom, what is at the very essence of wisdom in the book of Proverbs? If you were to summarize the book of Proverbs in a sentence, or maybe two, what would you say is the heart of the book of Proverbs? I, I would propose this. If you go back to the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 7, the father says to the son, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding, the beginning of knowledge. And then in chapter 9, verse 10, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So back to our verse for today, 423. The father says to the son, son, more than anything else you have to protect, son, of all the things you need to look out for, guard your heart. Why? What's in there? Wisdom is in there. What kind of wisdom? What is the essence of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. And what the Father's been teaching the Son is this. Son, life is all about God. If you don't start with God, if you don't live with an orientation toward God, if you don't live for God, your perspective's going to be all screwed up. And your perspective on life and what makes life work and what you're supposed to do in life is all going to be skewed. And that's going to affect what you talk about, what you do, what you pursue in life your values, your ethics, everything's going to be screwed up if you don't start with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the foundation. Everything else builds on that, son. You got it? Everything builds on God, the fear of the Lord. Now guard that, son. More than anything else, guard that. So what happens if you don't? What are the dangers if we don't guard our hearts? As I was chewing on that for the last week or so, my mind started drifting to Romans 11. And Paul ends Romans 11. It's actually the end of that whole section of Romans. And he ends with this. And it, it's memorable. It's profound. Paul ends that section of Romans by saying this, For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. For from him, and through him, and for him, are all things. And I thought, isn't that an application of the fear of the Lord? 
And so this son was teaching, this father was teaching his son, and so we need to teach our children or our grandchildren this whole perspective that everything is from him, through him, and for him. Everything is from God. He's creator God. He made me. That's one of the first lessons we need to teach the children. Who made you? God made me. That's not just a simple catechism question. That is the very heart, the beginning of understanding. Who made you? God made me. As creator God, as creator God, that gives him rightful rule over our lives. I belong to him. He made me. And if we're redeemed, I belong to him because he redeemed me too. Everything is from him. Life's from him. He's the creator God. He owns me. He has rightful rule over my life. He has the authority. He has the responsibility even to define life for me. So my understanding of life comes from him. Everything is from him. Everything is through him. You know, here in America, we love our independence, don't we? Do you realize neither you nor I have ever lived a nanosecond of independence? None of us have. None of us ever will. It's a delusion to think I'm independent. I'm on my own. No, you're not. I mean, even a blasphemer, even a blasphemer is dependent upon God to suck in the air to breathe out his blasphemy. He wouldn't even have air to blaspheme God if God didn't give it to him. Isn't that astonishing? Everything is through him. Everything is through him. You live life, I live life, all the time dependent on God. Dependent on him for life, for explaining to me the meaning of life. Everything is from him, through him, and for him. Life is to be lived for his glory. How many times, how many times have we heard or maybe even said, It's my life, and I'll live it however I want. My friends, that, that is a lie, a damnable lie from the pit of hell. It's my life. I'll live it however I want. Where in the world did we ever get that idea? You were created for the glory of God. And if you're redeemed, you're redeemed for the praise of God. Everything you are, everything you say, everything you do, everything you feel is for His glory. Everything is from Him and through Him and for him. Now, if we don't guard our hearts, that's the essence of the fear of God. If, if we don't guard our hearts, then these heart hackers, these heart hackers can make their way into our heart and can begin to change that. When our kids were growing up, I tried to teach them different life lessons. And I remember telling them more than once, kids, one of the most profound lessons you can learn in life is this. He is God, and I am not. He is God, and I am not. You miss that, everything else is screwed up. What did, what did, what did the serpent do with Eve in the Garden of Eden back there in Genesis 3? What, what did he try to get her to believe? How did he dupe her? How did he hack her heart? He said, why are you living with this 
paradigm, this perspective that he's God, that he has some right to, to tell you how to live, to tell you what's true and isn't true. Come on, Eve. You can launch out on your own. You can proclaim your independence. You can decide for yourself what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's not true. Eve, you can be God. And you know what? The serpent's still doing that. The, that, that heart hacker, the ultimate heart hacker, Satan, still tries that ploy to this day. He tries to convince people, it's your life. You decide what's true for you. You decide what's ethical, what's moral for you. It's all up to you. Why come under the authority of God when you can be God yourself? And after a while, the heart hacker can get in there and, and shift things around till we begin to believe, whether we say it out loud or not, I am God, and he is not. I'm God, and he's not. Or this world system that we live in, this fallen world system, can push on us and pull on us and and try to dazzle us with the things of this world. And, and we look at the, the possessions and the power and the pleasures of this world. And after a while we can look at these things and we can begin to think, you know what, that looks pretty good. You know what, maybe that will make me happy. Maybe that will give me some fulfillment in life. Maybe I'd be somebody if I had that position or I had that thing. And if we're not guarding our hearts, the heart hacker of this world can come in and convince us that that idol means something. And, and whether we see it coming or not, after a while we can be cuddling in our hearts the idols of this world and, until we have this subtle assumption that this thing is God and He is not. This is God and He is not. And whenever we let those heart hackers in and they shift us from that God-centeredness, everything, everything else gets screwed up. Life screwed up. Everything's off kilter. Our affections, our thinking processes, our values, the choices we make in life, everything's screwed up because we, we fudged, we, we flexed, we gave in on the centrality of God. Son, I've been teaching you wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, son. Guard your heart. Above everything else, son, guard your heart. Everything else flows from that. Everything else comes out of that. How are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to guard our hearts? If it's so important, if it's crucially important that we guard our hearts, how are we supposed to do it? Now, I'm saying this for the kids in the room, but I think those of us that are older will grab onto it. <laughs> think of our hearts like a castle. And the castle has gates. And we have to guard those gates. Probably the most obvious gate that we need to guard are our eyes. If we're not careful, we can let evil things into our hearts through the eye gate. We can be looking at pornography or perusing online stores thinking that'll bring me happiness, that'll bring me some sense of fulfillment. We can watch TV and movies that not only permit sin, but actually celebrate it. Encourage us to celebrate it. We can spend our time looking at things in stores that somehow that'll make everything life, make things life for me. And we can so subtly let things into our heart through the eye gate. 
Or we can let things in through the ear gate. What are you listening to? There can be a very twisted view of life that comes through certain music or talk shows or even friends that seek to convince us that a God-centered perspective of life isn't right. There's the mouth gate. We let things into our mouth that can deviate us from God. There's the gate of the mind. What do you think about? What do you, what do you daydream about? Do you, do you think about God and his word? Think about Christ? Do you meditate on him? Enjoy him? Or do you daydream about things that you'd rather not have projected up on the screen right now? You know what? I think all of us are probably feeling right now like, man, have I ever blown it. Like if we're humble enough to admit it, we recognize that there have been more than, there have been a lot of times that I've let heart hackers in through the eye gate or the ear gate or the mouth gate, the mind gate. It's true, isn't it? There's not one of us here who has a perfect record of guarding the gates. In fact, there's only ever been one person who pulled it off perfectly. That was Jesus Christ himself. The Bible tells us repeatedly, John says it concisely in 1 John 5, he says, in him is no sin. Jesus never let heart hackers into his heart. He always had perfect love for his father. Always fully trusted his father. He always pleased his father, obeyed his father. Christ alone is the only truly wise one. Let me say something, though, to those of you who are believers. I think sometimes we see our failures, and it might be as recent as last night or this morning, and and you think, what's the use? I fail so many times. It, it, It seems hopeless. It's not hopeless. You see, the thing is, we believers are in Christ. He's the successful one. He is the one who perfectly obeys this proverb of guarding his heart. But you and I are not alone. We are in Christ. He's given us his spirit. And because we have his spirit, because we have the grace of Christ, we can guard the heart, our hearts. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. He said, to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is our power and our wisdom. So we're in Christ, and in Christ we can guard our hearts. I think one of the most encouraging passages to me personally on this issue is what Paul wrote to the believers on Crete through Titus. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, I'll just read it to you. Listen carefully. Paul told these people, he said, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, the grace of God, teaches us, or you could even translate that, trains us. The grace of God trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all evil wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We're not alone, friends. We have the grace of God that empowers us. Whenever a heart hacker comes pounding on the eye gate, or a heart hacker comes pounding on the ear gate or the mind gate or the mouth gate. 
and say, no, go away. I'm not yours anymore. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I belong to Him. Go away, heart hacker. The power of the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ, empowers us to say no, trains us to say no to heart hackers. It's not a hopeless endeavor. We can guard our hearts with great hope in Christ and in His Spirit. And not only that, by the way, but it's the grace of God that trains us to say yes. To say yes to self-control, to say yes to upright and godly living. And so as we live in this fallen world with heart hackers sometimes beating on the gates, we need to remind ourselves of the truths of the gospel. We need to remember who he is. We need to remember whose we are. We need to remember the power of the gospel. We need to remember the presence of the Holy Spirit. We preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We remind ourselves that this battle can be fought, must be fought, in protecting our hearts from heart hackers. And might I say this, my friends? We need to preach the gospel to one another. The author of Hebrews said, beware lest any, any one of you be overtaken by a sinful, unbelieving heart. But encourage one another, day after day, as long as it's still called the day, lest any one of you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have to watch one another. And if you see a brother, you see a sister that seems to be fudging on guarding the gate, you say, oh, wait, wait, brother, wait, sister, let me help you with that. Let me remind you of who you are. You belong to Jesus Christ. He's given you the power to say no to that. No, say no, my friend, say no. Guard the heart. We preach the gospel to ourselves. We preach the gospel to one another. Grace of God. Can I ask you a few questions here today? Everyone here. Can we do some heart evaluation right now? What's the Spirit, what's the Spirit prompting you with right now? What's He prompting you to make some changes in how you've been doing with either what's in the heart or guarding the heart? I can't answer that for you. But is the Spirit doing something in you right now? Have you been lax in filling your heart with the word of God? The psalmist said, I've hidden your word in my heart. I meditate on your word so that I won't sin against you. Are you filling your heart with the word of God? Do you, you want this God-centeredness in your life? Well, he's given us his word. You think about that. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give us the word of God. He didn't have to give us our Bibles. But God, in his amazing grace, he gave us our Bibles so that we would know Him and so that we would understand ourselves and so that we would know how to be right with Him through Jesus Christ. Are you, are you filling your heart with that biblical wisdom, God-centered wisdom, wisdom that centers on Christ? Are you making time? Are, are you intentional about that and saying, I want my heart to be full of the Word of God? Have you been lax? Is this Holy Spirit calling you to change? To be more intentional of filling your heart with His Word? Here's a wisdom. Have you been lax in guarding the gates to your heart? 
wonder how many times I've excused myself, saying, well, I know, I know other Christians that do that, or oh, I'm strong, I can handle that, or whatever. We make these excuses. God opposes the proud. Oh, but he gives grace to the humble. And the humble say, Lord, I need your grace. I want to be a good gatekeeper. I want to guard my heart against these heart hackers. I want to keep my heart hard after you. Have you been lax? What's the Holy Spirit telling you now? I was reading in Ephesians 4 the other day, and I'd like to read it to you now. You can turn there if you'd like. I'm going to read from Hebrews 4, 17 through 24, a couple paragraphs. But I find this section of Ephesians being a wonderful application of this proverb. Ephesians 4, beginning of verse 17, the Word of God says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles, the unsaved people do, in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. That's because they're never satisfied. Listen to what he says to the believers. You, however, did not come to learn Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Christian friends, we don't have to live like we used to in our B.C. days. We don't have to live like our unsaved friends. In fact, we must not. We did not come to learn Christ that way. That as we live in the power of Christ, we live centered on Christ. We put off the old self and we put on the new. We guard our hearts. All of us need to hear that today, but I want to make some special applications to those of us who are parents and or grandparents. This is a father talking to a son. For those parents and grandparents who are today, are we modeling? Are we modeling to our children and our grandchildren a God-centeredness in life? Do we live for Him? Do we live Obviously, understanding that our lives are from him and through him and for him. Would the coming generations look at us in the way we live and say, well, for my dad, for my mom, for my grandpa, for my grandma, to live as Christ. I see that in how he lived. I see that in how she lived. For my, my parent, my grandparents, all about Christ. Are we modeling that? Are we pouring into the coming generations? We parents and grandparents need to be much more intentional in discipling the coming generation. I read these proverbs and I'm convicted as a grandfather. Am I, am I living this way consistently? Am I pouring into the coming generations a God-centered approach to life? Am, am I telling them, my kids, my grandkids, about God and His glory, God and His power, about His Son, Jesus Christ, 
Am I deliberately, intentionally making time to pour in a God-centered view of life, true wisdom, and then encouraging them to guard that? The words of Moses that he spoke to the children of Israel many years ago still ring true. Deuteronomy 4.9, he says, Only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Make them known. Moses said a long, long time ago, he said, don't forget who I am, speaking for God. Don't forget what God has done. Make sure you tell your children or grandchildren about him. Could we as parents or grandparents say the words of this proverb to our children with integrity, without bluffing? Say, son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, I've been pouring into you. I love doing it. I love doing it. And I've been pouring into you the truth of the gospel. I've been pouring into you a God-centered view of life and eternity. Guard it. Guard it. Above everything else, son. Above everything else, daughter. Guard that. Some of you are here today and you look at your heart and you see nothing but blackness. You see nothing but ugliness. I've got good news. I've got really good news. Jesus said that if you come to him, he won't turn you away. That's what he said. He said, if you come to me, I won't turn you away. So if the Spirit of God today is convicting you that you need a new heart, that you look at your heart and it doesn't just need tweaked, you have a heart that needs changed, you need a heart transplant. The heart you now have is stony, hard, doesn't love God lives for self. You can go to the heart changer and you can say, please give me a new heart. And he said, if you'll come to me, I won't turn you away. You can come to him right now and you say, please, Lord, give me a new heart. Take out this heart of stone. Give me a heart that loves you, that wants to please you. 